Hello everyone, uh, welcome to this week's midweek podcast from Villa Presbyterian Church. We trust uh, that you may know the warmth of Christian fellowship as you take us time uh, to listen uh, to our podcast over uh, these number of weeks. Uh, we ha- have been taking the opportunity to journey through the Old Testament, to think about what it means and to see the big picture of God's story and what he is telling us. Uh, So uh, as we come together, uh, we want to begin with some words from Psalm 95. Psalm 95 says, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and exalt him with music. And song. In a moment or two, we're going to uh, listen to the well-known praise, 10,000 Reasons. But before we do that, let us come to uh, God in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you, recognising you are the rock of our salvation, the one that we depend on in life through all that comes our way. You are the one, Lord. Who is the stable one, the one uh, who knows us better than we know ourselves, and that whatever may come in our lives, whatever may happen, we can depend on you. We can know of your goodness and your love towards us. And so, Lord, we come together uh, through this time, bringing our lives before you, giving over to you, Lord, the things in our lives that we cannot control, longing to honour you with everything that we do. And we look to praise your name, to glorify you through uh, the opportunity to come before your word and to glorify you with our lives. Lord, we ask all these things now in the gracious And in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Let us listen to our first item of praise, 10,000 Reasons. Oh 
So we'll read Genesis chapter 33, verses 1 to 17. Let's hear God's word. Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with his 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the two maidservants. He put the maidservants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead and bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. But Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the woman and children. Who are these with you? he asked. And Jacob answered, They are the children God has graciously given your servant. Then the maidservants and their children approached and bowed down. Next Leah and her children came and bowed down. And last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. And Esau asked, What do you mean by all these droves I met? To find favor in your eyes, my lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For to see your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you have received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you. For God has been gracious to me, and I have all I need. And because Jacob insisted, Esau accepted it. Then Esau said, Let us be on our way. I'll accompany you. But Jacob said to him, My Lord knows that the children are tender, and that I must care for the ewes and cows that are nursing their young. If they are driven, driven hard just one day, all the animals will die. So let my Lord go on ahead of his servant, while I move along slowly at the pace of the droves before me, and that of the children, until I come to my Lord and seer. Esau said, Then let me leave some of my men with you. But why do that? Jacob asked. Just let me find favor in the eyes of my Lord. So that day Esau, Esau started on his way back to Seir. Jacob, however, went to Succoth, where he built a place for himself and made shelters for his livestock. That is why the place is called Succoth. Here ends the reading of God's Word. Throughout uh, this journey in the Old Testament, um, there's many passages that you could come to that you would see as important. Um, all of God's Word is important. And do you know what? Anywhere that we will go in the New Testament, we can see Christ in it in some shape or another. And do you know, the thing that I love is coming to a passage that seems so insignificant, yet we actually realize that it has a real great and mighty message about God's plans, about who He is and what it means as we put our trust in Him. The picture that we have tonight is a meeting of two brothers, a meeting that could go either way, 
And I don't know about you, but there was a picture uh, in the newspaper uh, just the other day of these two brothers. Now, you can believe it or not, the, the media and the papers are maybe telling us that they've been at odds with one another for a number of years now. Yet here we see this picture of reconciliation, don't we? We see them coming together. It's maybe taken uh, the pain of this week for them to do this, but they're taking steps in reconciliation. Jacob and Esau are two brothers that have quite a history. And if you know the book of Genesis, you know how Jacob deceived Esau out of his birthright. And he had to leave in fear of his life because of it. Esau, the bigger, stronger brother, always doing the outdoor work, the heavy work, where Jacob, the mummy's boy, who was always inside uh, doing the lighter work, and how through the deception he is able to take the blessing that was due to Esau. And the two, we believe, have not seen each other since that time. And how Jacob fled and became rich. Jacob became a, a, a real a leader of a great family. And it is evident that through that blessing, God had chosen him as a brother that he would work his purposes through. And notice, as we come to this chapter, as we're thinking last week of that idea of God working through a person, we see those two themes coming through again, don't we? Of land, first of all, as we see Jacob and the place that he dwells, but also the seed also and the picture there of his family coming before Esau with his wives and his children meeting and see how God has, has given that seed and helped him throughout. But the meeting of Jacob and Esau that we're told here in this chapter is a wonderful meeting of reconciliation. It is evident that Esau's attitude towards Jacob has changed because when he saw Jacob, he ran to meet him, we are told, and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept together in verse 4. At some point over the years, Esau had to let go of his desire to kill his brother. Jacob's character has also changed, which is shown in how he approaches Esau and responds to him. You may think that he is God's chosen one. He can come with a real sense of might and power. Yet that's not the approach that Jacob takes here. He humbles himself before Esau. In true biblical pattern, Jacob's vision was no escape from reality. This language shows that he saw the two encounters. If you look back over the chapter before this, Jacob had another encounter with the Lord as he wrestled with the Lord and now with his brother. He comes to this meeting a longing to make a wrong right, looking for reconciliation, 
It had become a heart necessary for Jacob to do this. As Jacob had grown in grace, his conscience would not allow him to sidestep the wrong that he committed to his brother. Meeting with Esau was a spiritually necessary thing for him to do. And Jacob did not know it, but the preparation for this was the meeting with the Lord the night before. It was necessary preparation for meeting Esau. For God first had to deal with Jacob before Jacob could deal with Esau. Jacob's bowing was the reverse of the blessing that he had stolen for himself which stipulated to Jacob, be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's son bow down to you. Jacob's reversal here is his expressed sorrow over his shameful theft of the Isaac's blessing that was due to Esau, his brother. And we see the relief here in this passage, don't we? When Esau comes in peace, but more, in a marvelous indication of God's protective presence in Jacob's life, in order to ensure him of those promises due to him. Over the day before, Jacob had prayed. If you look back to chapter 32 and verse 11, please, Jacob prayed, deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mullers with the children. And here was the direct answer to prayer. God had changed Esau's heart. Such is the result when God fights in his way. But Jacob comes here in a humble attitude, in a broken attitude, recognizing that God has dealt with him. Jacob describes himself as Esau's servant and compares seeing Esau to seeing the face of God. It's an interesting illustration, isn't it, of to Jacob's encounter with God the night before. Jacob's face-to-face struggle with God was not easy, but he prevailed. And now he refers to the meeting with Esau in the same terms. Seeing, when he, seeing God when he wrestled with him was both terrifying encounter, but it was also an opportunity. And now Esau, it's terrifying, but it's also an opportunity for reconciliation and a moving on, a new beginning. Jacob had seen God, the face of God, and lived. And now he saw the face of Esau and lived. So that to him, Esau's face was like that of God. Jacob had not been ready to see Esau's face until he had seen God's face. And that divine encounter prepared the way for the human encounter. Jacob's approach with God proceeded, and it made possible for that approach to Esau. In an attitude of humility, in an attitude of weakness, God's crippling of Jacob preceded this reconciliation with Esau. 
God's blessing upon Jacob preceded Esau's forgiveness of Jacob. And so Jacob appears before Esau as humble and unassuming. And three times he mentions his aim was to find favor with Esau. Look down at verse 8 and verse 10 and verse 15 of the chapter. It's not language of brotherly love or vocabulary of affection. It's a sense of real diplomatic uh, language, one of seeking mercy and reconciliation. And through this story, there is a moving on. There is a sense of two men going their own way and following two different paths. But through this story, there's two types of blessing. There's a short-term dominance and a divine blessing with long-term promises. In the long term, the Israelites, Jacob's family, will dominate the Edomites, Esau's family. But in the short term, Jacob's struggle with his brother is over. God is the one who will deliver the definitive blessing. Esau wants Jacob to go to Seir, and Jacob agrees to join him there. But this agreement is never kept. And we learn over the next number of chapters why this is. Esau is associated with the land of Edom and Mount Seir, but Jacob settles in Canaan. Jacob still has obvious reservations about living side by side with his brother. And such an agreement had not worked for Abraham and Lot, and now it would not work for Jacob uh, either. Reconciliation has taken place, but Jacob seeks to separate himself from his brother Esau. It is apparent that the offer to travel together included a common destination of Esau's home. But according to the vow that Jacob had made to God in the previous chapter, he had promised to return to his father's house. And by distancing himself from traveling with Esau, he had the freedom to go where he needed to go. And it is important that Jacob separated his family from Esau in order to keep the promised line separate. The covenant community must not intermingle with those outside the community in case they lose that distinct relationship to God of the covenant. Jacob did not need the protection of Esau because he had God's protection over him. God's chosen people were to remain separate from those who were not of people of faith. The dangers in Esau's generous offer were substantial. And we see that first Jacob settles in Sukkoth, which is on the borders of Canaan. Sukkoth was a backward step, spiritually as well as geographically. And it is difficult to reconcile the call to Bethel with the prolonged stay that involved building cattle sheds and house in the east of Jordan. But Jacob would sojourn in Sukkoth, suggests that he was still a man who did the things his own way. He still had things to learn about following God. And for this, Jacob and his family 
we're going to pay dearly as you read on in the story of Genesis. Shechem offered Jacob an attraction of compromise. He was summoned to Bethel, but Shechem was about a day's journey short of it. It stood attractively at a crossroads. He was called, just like Abraham, to be a stranger and a pilgrim. But while paying his own plot of land, there he could argue that he was in within the promised borders. In a way, what Jacob was doing here was disobedience. It was partial obedience, which is not obedience at all. His act of rearing an altar and claiming his new name of Israel could not distinguish the fact. Here we see that partial obedience can be dangerous. As an example of when uh, we ask the child not to play in the streets, a place alongside the roadway, we insist on a total obedience for their own safety. And as God had called Jacob to stay in the promised land, here we see that picture of God continuing to direct and guide his people. It's always a delusion to imagine that we have obeyed when we've only partially obeyed. And this is eternally true when dealing with God. If God has called us to leave a relationship or a plan, or to pursue a, or a pursuit or a habit, do not imagine that you have obeyed by partial disengagement. We're called to follow God wholeheartedly. Understand that if God has called us to specific obedience, anything less than that is disobedience. God will not be mocked or fooled. And as Jacob recognizes, his sweet grace can be brutal. As you read through the next number of chapters in the story of Jacob's family, but we see here in this story, in this encounter with Esau, that it is God who induced a weakened, dependent state. Jacob came to his brother Esau, and he prevailed. Truly, God did it all. So the unbelieving Esau left his 400 men sprinted to Jacob and forgave Jacob's grievous sin. We see in this picture of Esau's face was like that, the face of God, not only because he forgave Jacob, but because Jacob could see God's, uh, God's uh, hand in his affecting his deliverance. We see Christ in this too, don't we, this evening? And we see that picture of our own lives, of lives that will disobey God, of lives that can never live up to the standard of God. Yet we see a picture of an acceptance, of a way that we can have that relationship that we are not worthy of. As we look to the cross this evening, 
As we look to that picture of what Christ has done for us, we recognize a deliverance that is done in weakness so that we may have a victory. I'm sure you've heard many different stories about the Queen over these last days. And there's one story that I heard, and I have to share it with you this evening. Now, it feels a little bit far-fetched, and you, you can choose whether to believe this or not. I, I know the person that has shared this story, and he is a pastor, so that should say something. But let me read through it, first of all. I once had the honor of touring the UK Parliament with a man who knew its history better than anyone else. And so I asked him a story, a craziest story that he could ever tell me about the hearts of Parliament, and he didn't disappoint. He said that every uh, legislative session begins with a visit from the Queen, and it's a very regal tradition. She wears her crown in a robe and possesses down the hallway lined with the Queen's guards who literally strike the stone walls with their swords to make sparks fly as she walks. The hallway ends at the House of the Lords where the Queen enters to take her seat on the throne and essentially commissions the legislators to engage, uh, to enact the will of the people. Several years ago, they were forced to break tradition a bit to accommodate the Queen's older age. There was, a there was a grand staircase leading to the hallway, and it became too much for her to climb. So they decided to start using the lift to get her up to the right floor. And the first year they did this, a mistake was made. The lift operator accidentally pushed the button for the wrong floor. Rather than the entrance to Parliament, the lift operator pressed the button for the maintenance floor. The lift goes up and the doors open, and Alice from the cleaning crew, with her head down, pushes her cleaning cart into the lift as she done countless time. Only this time, she had pinned the Queen of England against the wall of the small lift. The doors closed behind her, and Alice is struck in the lift with the Queen and her guard, and she lets out an explosive, not fitting for the presence of royalty. Then an awkward silence, no one knowing what to do. The silence is broken by the Queen's uncontrollable laughter. And then the most remarkable invitation. Rather than opening the doors to let Alice off, the Queen asked the lift operator to take them down to the proper floor. The doors open to everyone's shock. Out walks Her Majesty the Queen and Alice the maintenance worker. Then the Queen in her regal regalia, along with Alice in her maintenance uniform, possessed side by side down the royal hallway. I don't know if this happened or not. I have no uh, facts to it. But I wonder, as we think this evening, of the position that we have been given through our Lord Jesus Christ. Can you picture in that silence in the lift, Alice thinking, am I going to be beheaded? Well, maybe not quite that bad, but 
I'll probably definitely lose my job after this. Yet instead, given that wonderful invitation to join the Queen, as we recognize God's glory and power as we read through His Word, there is no way that we could measure ourselves against His glory. Yet through the cross, through Christ's sacrifice for us, a hand is extended to us so that we may have that opportunity of reconciliation. Just like Jacob walking to his brother, thinking, is my life uh, going to end here? In God's power, he tastes that reconciliation. There is a poem uh, by a Christian pastor. Uh, he was in the, 18, in the 1800s, George Madison, and he said these words. O love that will not let me go, I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe that in thy ocean depths it flow. May richer, fuller be. We come this evening knowing of the greatness of God's grace in our Lord Jesus. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come together this evening recognizing that you are the God who guides our ways. You are the God who we may know will grant us promises that we will never be able to live up to ourselves. But it is in the Lord Jesus, it is in his sacrifice for us that we may taste those promises, that we may know of his glory and power in all that we may do. Lord, we ask these things now in the gracious and in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Lord, from the depths I call to you. Lord, hear me from on high and give attention.
that last item of praise, I will wait for you. As we come to the end of our podcast now, we're going to, as we always do, take some time in prayer for others. Let's pray to God. Heavenly Father, we come before you in days, Lord, uh, that we do not know which one, what, what will bring one day to the next. And Lord, we come before you knowing that you know the start to the end. Lord, we lift up before you those who are hurting through these days. We lift up before you those, Lord, who are dealing with great loss. We lift up before you, Heavenly Father, those who are fearful and anxious in the future. And Lord, we ask that they may rest in you, that they may look afresh to your promises and what it means to meet with you, to seek you out through all situations that you face and to know, Lord, that you are the one, Lord, where true and everlasting hope is found. You, Lord, are where they may find their peace. And in you, Lord, they may find that goodness, that joy in life. Lord, we want to bring before you, Lord, our world that is in great need in these days. As we think, Lord, of countries that are at conflict with one another, as we think, Lord, of places, Lord, where economies are failing, as we think, Lord, of uh, governments, Lord, that are um, struggling to keep power, we recognise you as the one who has the true and ultimate authority. You are the one, Lord, who is the everlasting King and the one, Lord, who we look to for direction and guidance in life. The one who truly will be our guide through all that we may face. And we bow down before you. Help us know this, Heavenly Father. And help us, Lord, and the world, Lord, as need to recognise you as that one, Lord, who they may bow before. Heavenly Father, in these days of great change, in these days, Lord, when we uh, are fearful for the future, we look to you, the one, Lord, uh, who we can rest in and know where our comfort lies. Lord, we come before you in these days, asking, Lord, that you may continue to sustain and strengthen us through all that we may face. Lord, we bring all these things before you in the gracious and in the loving name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening, everyone. May you know the rich blessing of Christ through your life this week. And let us close together with the words of the benediction. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God our Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us now and forevermore. Amen.